Hello, this is Jude Dahlia, and welcome to Don't Stay in Your Lane. Today, we're talking to Nora Ali, who went from being a quantitative finance person in big banks to an emerging startup leader to a news anchor. Very interesting and quite a fun conversation. Excited for you guys to hear. Hi, Nora. Welcome to Don't Stay in Your Lane. Excited to talk to you today about your circuitous path into where you are right now (laughs) in the media production world. How about we start off with kind of the first time you thought of, I need to make money, what kind of career would I want, and how that kind of landed with you? I didn't know what I wanted to do out of college. And I kind of took the most common path that people took out of Harvard, which is where I went to college. And pretty much everyone around me was interviewing for investment banks or consulting. And it was just the default. And I figured, you know what, I will learn a lot. It seems like a big challenge. And the interview process I found to be weirdly fun. (laughs) What was fun about it? (laughs) I really enjoy the challenge of having to prove myself and sort of sell myself in the room. And I had sort of met some people in the banking and finance space, my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, had worked at a hedge fund for several years at that point. It was a a really great resource. And I just found it exhilarating (laughs) to try to really sell my skill set, which wasn't a real skill set at that point, but it was my experience in school and my experience prior to that and just try to get the job. So I found that to be fun. Amazing. And then why do you think like that's the path that everyone that went to Harvard kind of goes down? Like, did you figure (laughs) that out as you were doing it? Like, okay, it makes sense that this is the funnel. Yeah, pretty much all of my circle, at least, because I majored in stats and quantitative finance. That was just what people thought was the pinnacle at that point. I think it's really changed since I graduated college 10 years ago. Now I think there's obviously a lot more appetite to work at a startup or work in tech or even work in VC right after school. So at that point, it was just the Goldman's of the world, the Deutsche Banks, the Credit Suisse's, JP Morgan. Those are the places that people wanted to work at the time. And I didn't think anything of it. And I just threw myself in and loved the people I ended up meeting, especially at Goldman, my ultimate team. So the people drew me in. Amazing. And then before Harvard too, like, did you, because you majored in quantitative finance, did you kind of have an inkling like, okay, like this is kind of the best path forward for you? Or was it also kind of like most people were doing this? Let's try it out. I had a really small major actually. So quantitative finance was a path in the statistics major. And I think there were only two of us that graduated on the quantitative finance track. And I think 11 people who graduated with the stats degree in my year. And then the next year, it was 100 plus people and it just doubled from there. So I kind of got in when people weren't really studying statistics as much. So within my major, There weren't that many examples to follow, first and foremost, but a lot of them were pursuing PhDs or doing more data science. I was, I think, the only one or one of few that decided to go into the banking slash consulting route in my major, but everyone else, like people I took economics classes with and my other friends were looking for that path. So I didn't know prior to college that I would end up in finance. And I don't think I really knew exactly where I wanted to land until recently. So let's do the next step after banking and consulting and that pivot that you took. Where did you end up next? How did you think about that as you were doing it? 
So I had been at Goldman for about three and a half years at that point. And it was the early days, sort of people my age, like a few years into our career, itching to go work at a startup. It was the shiny new thing to try to do is find this high growth and stealth mode sort of company. And I had a friend in the VC world who heard about this job at jet.com through one of the investors in jet.com. So at the time, jet.com had gone through a few rounds of funding. It's an e-commerce company. And the message at that point was it's helmed by Mark Laurie, who started diapers.com, which got sold to Amazon. He has this amazing track record, and now he's trying to take on Amazon. And I thought that sounded super cool. And I applied via this friend. So my resume was passed on. And that's actually my first lesson that I've learned is if you just go through the normal, quote unquote, normal route of applying on LinkedIn or on a career website, I just find that to be much less productive than going through a known entity, which sounds obvious. I don't think it's (laughs) obvious to most people that how much network matters when it comes to jobs. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Like we talk about networking all the time and how important it is, but the impact of it is outsized. It's disproportionate. If you just have one person who is familiar with the team who's hiring or who works at the company that can just bring your resume to the top or put in a good word, it makes a world of difference. Yeah, exactly. So I had applied. The role for which I was applying wasn't clear. It really was, here's my resume, would love to talk. Which happens at a lot of startups, right? (laughs) Exactly. Because at that point, they don't really have defined roles. They're just looking for generalists who can do, yeah, exactly, who can do anything. So I met with folks from the product team, marketing team, management team, talked about my statistics background. So it made sense for me to just join the marketing team to be a little bit of a data analytics person, but also literally help with anything and everything. So I did email marketing. I worked with the acquisition team, the retention team. And then over time, I ended up being a product manager (laughs) from being on the market team to being a product leader actually at the company. And even within Jet, my path was quite circuitous. And then when you're at like navigating that startup, jumping in different roles, wearing different hats. What were kind of the thoughts going through your head like that you might promote to someone else who's also kind of going in that path? If you're wearing a lot of different hats, I think it's important not to have the mindset that you are hired to do XYZ. I've heard this from some people. They're often not the most successful people where they will, for lack of a better word, complain about being assigned to something that wasn't in their job description. Yeah, But I would rather be assigned things that aren't a part of my job description. That's what I enjoy doing because it's an additional challenge. There's no expectations because you've never done it before. Yeah, And that's how I learn is being thrown into something that I've never experienced before or even tried before. And I just learn how to do the job on the job. I would go in with this open mindset of don't pigeonhole yourself. Don't be annoyed if someone has to do something outside of your description, because that's probably where you'll learn the most is when you're asked to do something that you didn't expect you would have to do. Amazing. And then let's just go through your whole career path and then I'm going (laughs) to dive deeper into certain things. Sounds good. But so after jet.com, what was your next kind of journey transition? That was probably the biggest pivot. I had decided about three years into Jet. So to back up a little bit, I joined Jet pre-launch. I went through the whole launch of the company. It got acquired by Walmart for $3.5 billion. And I worked still in the Jet umbrella, but interacted with a lot of Walmart folks and was part of this larger corporation. And it felt like 
a good time to try to explore something that had been just itching in the back of my head <laughs> for my entire life. I don't know if that's a phrase, but yeah, this is the problem with being a child of immigrants is a lot of like idioms <laughs> and stuff I don't quite say correctly. Anyway, so I decided that I wanted to try my hand at television hosting because I had grown up performing piano and violin and I was on stage a lot and seed a lot of fundraisers and weddings and things like that. Yeah. And I just enjoyed that more than anything <laughs> was being on a stage, interviewing people, talking to people. Yeah. And I made myself a spreadsheet with any contact I could think of that had their toe in the world of entertainment and television and news and anchoring. Yeah. And one of the people on that list was just a talent agent that I found on the internet. It was a combination of people in my larger network and also just people I Googled. (laughs) So I had emailed a bunch of talent agents and one of them had gotten back to me and we met and he said, Hey, I just, you know, learned about this job at Cheddar that opened up. It's for a business anchor and I don't have any business experts on my roster. Why don't you just go try out? So I did. What are those tryouts like? Because you said in the beginning, you really liked interviewing for these business consulting jobs. I'm curious, like how those tryouts were different. It was so different. And I didn't know what to expect. So the casting director for that role, her name is Barbara Abel. She was holding a hosting class two days after I had met with that talent agent. So I had randomly already signed up for Barbara's class. And the talent agent was like, all the stars aligned, all the stars aligned. I was like, Oh my goodness. I will just talk to Barbara at the class that I signed up for. That's another lesson, by the way, is if you're trying to break into a totally new space, there's classes, there's places you can go to embed yourself with those people. You don't have to go at it cold. Yeah. So I just like to be that environment. And I had taken hosting classes since the beginning of my career, since I was at Goldman even anyway. So I was mentally prepared for this totally different interview I think on purpose, they didn't really give me too much detail about what exactly would be happening just to see how I would sort of perform under pressure. So the team emailed me a couple of news articles like an hour or two before the interview. And they said, write some newsreaders based on these pieces of news. And I was like, what's a newsreader? (laughs) I didn't know what that was. I frantically Googled and I wrote them up. And I think I did more than they had expected or even wanted me to do. Because a newsreader is just, it's a script based on a piece of news. Yeah. But instead of just writing the script, I, on the right column, I wrote the script. And on the left column, I wrote the cues for the producers and went to put the anchor on cam and graphics and things that producers do, but certainly not something they expected for an anchor to do for, yeah. for the interview process. But that's just kind of who I am. I <laughs> go overboard sometimes. How did they take that? They liked it. I mean, they really liked it. They'd hired me. So I guess they must have liked it. But I submitted that. And then I took an Uber to the office. And they had warned me that I'd do some reads on prompter and interview someone, do a mock interview. And it was great because I ended up mock interviewing Barbara, who I had met. So that was nice and uncomfortable. But I showed up and they were like, here, put this thing in your ear. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> I said, it's an earpiece. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Like, I had no clue what was going on. But I had a producer talking to me in my ear and I had to ask a few questions when I do the read and I toss it back. Where do I look? So it was just a lot of very basic questions that I asked, but I did what I came to do. Thought it went fine. And then I had a couple of regular interviews 
where the traditional job interview with a couple of people and it was a lot of discussion and they were trying to figure out, you know, you're making this sort of pivot. What value can you bring to the table? And I talked about my experience at a startup and working in tech and working in finance. And they really liked that I had the industry experience and the knowledge of those companies, because that's the kind of content we covered at Cheddar and having that sort of inside knowledge was helpful. And the fact that I don't have a typical news anchor voice. I had none of the mannerisms and the traditional news anchory isms, if you will. So it was a definitely different experience. I left the room that day assuming that I didn't get the job and just, you know, being thankful that it was a great first experience. But then they called me back and, and they did give me the offer, which was very exciting. That's exciting. So did any other than like the industry knowledge, did any kind of skills or stuff you've learned at Jet and before in finance translate to being a news anchor? I had to give a lot of presentations at both Goldman and Jet, but especially at Jet. Towards the end of my time at Jet, I was responsible for this new beta testing team where I had a dedicated team of engineers and designers, and we were basically building the next generation of Jet. And that meant presenting totally new concepts to management teams and getting their approval and getting approval for resources. So I think having to make my case and use evidence to make my case and present and synthesize information was really helpful. And I did that a ton at Goldman too. If not presentations where I'm standing and presenting a deck, it was talking to clients and selling them on which stocks to buy. So it was invaluable. Everything I learned in those jobs was invaluable at Cheddar. Amazing. And then you said it was like itching in the back of your head going into this industry. Like how long has this been itching? Like when you were five and someone asked like, what do you want to be when you grew up? Was it always like in India? (laughs) Well, it's funny. I actually have a recording of myself when I was 12 because I was on some radio show playing piano and they asked me what I wanted to be. And I said, I want to be a CEO (laughs) when I grow up. So I had always wanted to be in charge. Yeah. I think I envisioned that in many different ways, whether it was in business and entrepreneurship or being on TV. But truly being on television, I didn't think was going to be my career path. Yeah. I thought it might be something I did for fun on the side. So Cheddar, it really was serendipitous that Cheddar came along because they gave me the chance without having any background in journalism, to be frank. I did have experience just yeah. being on TV here and there for piano and violin things, but I did not picture that that opportunity would be available to me because I didn't go to journalism school. Yeah. But five-year-old me had dreamed about a lot of different things, like being an actress and yeah. getting an Oscar. Like I'm obviously not going to do that. I don't think I knew what I wanted when I was five, but I knew I wanted to. It's not too late to, to, to become an actress and do an Oscar. <laughs> You're really young. <laughs> Well, I think it would be cool to be one of those newscasters in like a superhero movie where they're Uh, reporting on what's going on. I checked your Twitter, your cover photo is the Avengers, which Avengers is your favorite. (laughs) Okay, don't judge me. This is an unpopular opinion. I love Ant-Man for (laughs) some reason. I don't know why. He's not the best Avenger, but I just, I love the- Definitely judging you. (laughs) Well, it's (laughs) literally no one else says Ant-Man. I've never heard that. So I didn't watch all the movies in order. I think Ant-Man was the one of the ones that I watched out of order, but I watched it on an airplane and I cried for some reason when I watched it. I always cry when I watch movies on airplanes, but then I just fell in love with Paul Rudd's character and it adds humor that I think a lot of other characters don't in the same way. 
So yes, it's Ant Man. Yeah, <laughs> makes the fact yeah. that Ant Man is your favorite better, <laughs> yeah. but it's okay. Um, but okay, yeah. Going back to like when you thought media was for you and the dream of being one of those newscasters and a superhero movie—is that the goal? <laughs> I mean, that's my, my like dream job. That would just be a fun thing to come along okay, cool. down the line. Currently, what I'm working on, I'm in charge of an entity that is making content. And it's kind of combining those two things that I had dreamed about as a kid is being on television, making television, being on screen, and also being in charge, being a CEO. So I feel like I've yeah. achieved on paper, I guess, what I would have wanted as a kid but I just feel like there's still, I'm still early in my career. I have to remind myself of that. I've been working for 10 years, but that's nothing <laughs> compared yeah. to the rest of my career. So I feel like there are a lot of still good things ahead. I do want to end up on a red carpet somehow, somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> that's still a dream of mine. You definitely have the fashion sense for it too. I think you would actually be taken. Oh. Yeah, people would not be like, <laughs> who is this person? It would be like, oh, she's meant to be here. Well, thank you. I do have a promise to myself that I do ever end up on a red carpet. I will wear a Bengali outfit. Oh, okay. Amazing. My my family's from Bangladesh. And I don't know why we don't see more like South Asian couture on the red carpet here in the US. I mean, you guys have the most colorful couture too. Like I really wish I was South Asian just when I see (laughs) the stories and all that kind of stuff. It's the best. And I love dressing up for family weddings and things. So that's the promise. I'm saying it out loud right now. If you see Nora Ali in a red carpet, I will be wearing Bengali or Indian clothes. Amazing. And then, so when you were talking about Cheddar, you were surprised they gave you the chance without a degree in journalism and going to school for journalism. Are you seeing that more and more in the industry, people not going to school directly for what they're doing? Or are you still the outlier? I'm definitely seeing it more and more. That's why it's so important to not go the traditional route to applying to jobs because your resume might not make sense on literal paper. But once you get in the room, you can sell yourself and your skill set to be appropriate for the job. So I think it's becoming much more common for people to intro, to make referrals and to just the word networking, we've been using it for so long, but I think it's different now. It's not just networking sort of for the sake of building up your Rolodex, but you never know who's going to intro you to someone in an industry you didn't even know you were interested in, and then you end up getting a job in it. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think young people more and more have to kind of open their eyes to it because what's differentiating those now that undergrads, people with undergrad degrees aren't getting jobs more and more. So the half that do get jobs, it's usually through those connections they're making and kind of being aware that it's going through people now instead of those Mm -hmm. online websites. Exactly. Especially the paths that people are more inclined to take now. It's very clear if you're trying to get into banking or consulting, this is the path that you need to take. But going to a startup where you don't fully have your operations set up. You don't even know fully what the mission of the company is. You don't know what roles you're hiring for. You have to sell yourself as a hard worker yeah. that can grow with the company versus I have the right skill set for this company. So it's just the nature of work is just so different now. Yeah, exactly. And smaller companies are becoming more and more and larger companies are condensing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you went into media from business and tech so is there a sector you haven't touched yet that you do want to touch? Are you about to become a doctor too? Or is that just not going to happen? It's a good question because my family is full of scientists and doctors. Yeah, Both my parents are chemists. I think it's interesting that you are in chemistry as well. And my older sister is a pediatric oncologist. She's 
curing cancer for kids. So I have to remind myself that what I'm doing is literally not life or death, but what she's doing is. And my little sister is more in the business world as well. But wait, are you the middle sister? I am, yes. I'm the middle yeah. sister too. I have two sisters and we're both from the Midwest. That's insane. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. It's the best being in the middle. It really is. Yeah. Are you super close with both your sisters? Yep, I am. And you're kind of like the peacemaker, but you get to do yes. different things. Because in my perspective, both my two sisters are completely different people. Uh-huh. So like explore different parts of the world through both of them. And it's interesting. Exactly. My two sisters couldn't be more different, but I'm the bridge between them. And I'm super close to both of them. That's awesome. And then coming from an immigrant family, like your parents don't pay attention to you as much, which is kind of good because <laughs> you get away with a lot more things. That was at least my experience. Yeah. I was definitely the troublemaker. Oh my goodness. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I would push back on my mom the most. I think we would butt heads the most, although we're the most similar, my mom and I. But it's funny, the attention thing, because I was probably the most attention seeker of all my sisters because I'm you know, performer. I like to be on TV. And yeah. my dad, we, we have old home videos and my dad be like pointing the video camera towards my little sister who's four and doing some cute dance. And I'm in the corner playing really terrible violin because I'm a child and it sounds really bad. And I notice that his camera's not on me. And I like run into the front of the lens. I'm like, dad, look at me. And I'm like waving my violin bow. So I was always looking for the camera lens yeah, yeah. since I was a child. <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely the most social, the one like trying to like build community outwards and being like, pay attention to me here too. And then, yeah, Yeah. I think it's like a blessing in disguise. Uh, Yeah, I think so. It's the best place to be is in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. So being from a very scientific family, I knew pretty early on that I didn't want to do that, which is interesting. I think of all my classes, I think I liked chemistry the least. (laughs) And my mom was probably like, Nora, what's wrong with you? But I think I have dabbled in everything I'd like to dabble in at this point. I say this now, but who knows? Nothing's itching. Nothing's itching at this point because I I am starting this new company. So I'm in the beginning stages of something new. I've noticed that my career cycle is every three years. I look for something new. So you can ask me again three years from now and we'll see. We'll do. (laughs) Maybe I'll try to go to space like Jeffrey Bezos. We'll see. Honestly, it might be really easy in a few years. Like maybe everyone's going to space. So it's not a dream. It's just like, oh, okay, let's take a weekend trip to <laughs> the upper crust. <Yeah. laughs> to orbit and float around and come back. Yeah. <laughs> no idea. Not to get into too, de- too much detail about your new company, but do you want to describe more so like the process and kind of like all the skills you've built up now through media, through technology, through finance that are helping you launch this? I think the most important thing that I'm taking with me now in just building a new company is how I learned to build new things while at Jet. As a product manager, you have to start with talking to stakeholders. What are your requirements? And coming up with a roadmap and thinking about the resources that are required and being really methodical. And the ability to get people on board is highly underrated. And I've been doing that now with my new company is even before an idea is fully fleshed out, I like to just dangle it in front of people and say, what do you think about this? Is this something that you would watch? Is this something that you would consume? And I did that a lot at at Jet. I tend to become very close friends with the people I work with. And I think that's super valuable if you're trying to build things from scratch is get people to really trust you and build that friendship. I know the line between 
being professional and being friends, that's still something that we think about. It's nebulous sometimes, but I always erred on the side of let's hang out outside of work. Let's get to know each other. Yeah, it's not life or death. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So definitely the product manager skills have helped. And that even helped me at Cheddar where I would pitch new shows all the time and new segments. And instead of just coming with the idea, I would have a document <laughs> like a product manager would of this is our value proposition. This is what our sample episode should look like. These are like the first few guests that I want. So I, again, overkill. My middle name is overkill, but that would make it so much easier to green light these ideas because yeah. it's a matter of management saying yes or no versus management saying, all right, well, we'll think about it. Or why don't you flesh this out some more? I'm like, I already fleshed it out for you. So, so here it is. But yeah, everything that I did in my entire career has helped me get to this point and build my own thing. Amazing. Do you think like in the moment, so like, did you ever have that anxiety? Like I'm not doing what I'm meant to be doing like in finance when you had it itching in the back of your head, media in tech when you still had it or like, or were you always thinking this will help me eventually? I had that feeling the most probably at Goldman, oh, yeah. for sure. I think what had kept me there for three plus years was that my team was so wonderful. Yeah, Especially recently, you hear horror stories about treatment of analysts and young folks at these banks, but I just had a wonderful experience. I was on the Asian equities team. We were kind of this little ragtag group of immigrants and children of immigrants. And we were mostly a very diverse team. And I just felt like I really belonged in it. But the function of the job itself, there were parts of it I really liked is talking to clients and synthesizing information and making pitches. But day to day, just being so embedded in the world of it just felt very singular in a way I was advising institutional investors on what kinds of equity investments to make whether it's you know secondary shares or IPOs, it's fun, but it just felt very narrow for me. So I knew that I was learning a lot and I was gaining a great skill set, but I knew I did not want to end up in the world of a Goldman Sachs for the rest of my life. But then at Jet, I love building things from scratch. Every job or function that I've had that allows me to build things from the ground up, I feel comfortable in. So that itch was probably the strongest at Goldman, but it slowly started to fade over time. And they're finally to the point where there's no itch right now, I don't think. <laughs> All right. Amazing. And then did you have any, like, I think a lot of our viewership just has that job anxiety, education anxiety. At any point, were you thinking like, I need to be more educated in something? Maybe I should go back to school for this or that to do what I want? Or was it always like, oh, okay, like I have this degree, now let's just do it? When I was thinking about what to do after Goldman, I did consider going back to school. And I actually applied for a data science master's at Columbia and I got accepted. And then my mom was like, well, what do you want to do <laughs> with that data science master's? Do you want to do data science? And I realized the answer was no. <laughs> I just kind of did it because I didn't know what I want, wanted to do. And oftentimes I think people will choose the path of more education because you think you'll figure it out along the way. And I had considered business school for a while, but similarly I was, you know, thinking, I don't know exactly how that would help me find my path and find my way if I were to spend lots of money to go to business school. So 
I definitely went through phases where I thought I needed more education. But at the end of the day, I would rather learn on the job versus learn in a classroom. I was never really that interested in school, even while I was in school. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. It's hard to tell people that when you have such a like an academic background, like, oh, wow, you went to Harvard and you did quantitative finance. How are you not academic? (laughs) And then you have to explain to them, like, I was... The like worst part of my life was going to class and yeah. then I would do a bunch of stuff on the side and be like, oh, shoot, I still need to go to class to have the safety net. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Exactly. Even in high school, I was on AIM so much as a kid. What is AIM? Oh. Are you too young for AIM? <laughs> I'm sorry. I was born in 96. Oh. <laughs> so for your young listeners, it's the AOL messaging system. I was like, what is that? And then I was thinking about it. <laughs> so it was like our first really look into chatting with people on the internet. So I would be logged on every evening, every night, and I had a really quick way to close down my screen when my mom walked in, but I was just always chatting with my friends and chatting with people I had crushes on, and that's, and I would procrastinate every single piece of homework, every test, and yet my friends didn't even know this about me. It was like, oh, Nora's a nerd. She's like captain of the math team. Like, of course, she's just studying all the time. And I was like, no, guys, I don't study that much. You live the double life of having like immigrant parents where you have to succeed on paper, but you just had all this energy to do other things. Like, right? Is that? Exactly. And so studying for school, I never really liked. But if I was studying for something that had a very clear impact or very clear next step. Like for example, studying for the GMAT or the GRE. I did a very good job at those things because that helps to get you to something else or studying for the SATs, for example. Yeah. Or if I'm studying for say the series seven exam, which I needed to work at Goldman, I worked really hard to do that because I needed to pass to do my job function or researching to interview somebody at Cheddar or doing research. I go deep and I go hard if I know there's an immediate direct impact But for me, school was like, all right, this is like one chemistry test. I don't feel like it. Like I need to do well, so I'll cram at the very last second. But my heart is not going to be in it. So I study when I need to. (laughs) I was the one who used studying as an an excuse always to be social. Like I was the queen of the study groups. And then yes. would like always bring like snacks and try to gossip on the side and never really study. like the only reason I think I got to where I was is that I would always kind of find the smart kids and be friends with the smart kids. But now like all my friends are like the top PhDs at MIT and around the world. And I'm like, and they're like, oh, so she's doing something different. She definitely shouldn't have done the PhD route. So good for her. <laughs> yeah. But it's good to have those people in your network and your circle. Yeah, you can glean some of that from them. Yeah, someone came over and was visiting from New York to the Bay. Mm-hmm. And he's completing his PhD in food science in the top food science program in the world in Cornell. And then going deeper into that, and he's like, I know Sajid because she used to kind of cheat off all my lab reports. And that's like our friendship and how we <laughs> got really close was that like trauma bond of me waiting till the last moment to do lab reports. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and it's beautiful friendship. The best kind. So... If someone is like kind of struggling with academia, not really having that like endpoint in mind, not seeing like, okay, and they kind of don't have like the last minute procrastination push that kind of comes into like, oh, shoot, I have to get there. How would you help motivate those who just don't have that clear path in their mind? Because no one really has a clear path anymore. And I think it's demotivating a lot of Mm -hmm. young people. 
So if you're still in school and don't know what that path is, I think it's less important in your early days to think about exactly what your perfect job or perfect career is. Because as we've learned, I didn't know that until sort of recently. And I still have friends now in our early 30s who are having these existential crises that we've all had during the pandemic. And they're trying to figure out what is the next step for me. A lot of people looking to quit or looking to switch jobs. And I do still see this focus and I must find the right exact role and job description for me, where it's that I think that's much less important than working at a place where you like the people. That's why I put so much weight. Another reason why I like being interviewed, going to job interviews is I like connecting with people and seeing if I'd actually want to work with them. So if you don't know what you want to do, just go on a bunch of interviews, talk to a bunch of people and see who you enjoy spending time with. And then the career will come out of that. Personal relationships are infinitely more important than anything you could have on paper. What advice do you give to those who kind of find it difficult making that first step? Like, why would this person want to talk to me? How should I reach out to this person? I think that's also like a barrier to entry is like, oh, I don't even know how to reach out. I have recently ended up on the other end of sort of cold reach outs. Finally, in my career, I'm at a point where people reach out to me for advice. Yeah. And I realize I'm in this headspace now where I want to help other people. I didn't like when you're the one who's asking for help, you wonder why in the world would this person give me the time when I have nothing to offer them. But it truly does. You have to remember that if you're asking someone for advice or for help, you are implying that they are an expert and that will make them feel really good about themselves. <laughs> and it creates karma. Truly, it creates karma. Yeah, stroke the egos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you can do it without being fake. Yeah. You can say you've done X, Y, Z. I'm really interested in learning about you know these things that you've done. What I will advise is if you're cold reaching out to people on LinkedIn or whatever, be specific about what you're looking for from that person. Because I have gotten some outreaches where people just say, oh, I'd love to pick your brain. I hate that phrase, by the way. If anyone listening ever talks to me, don't ask me to pick my brain. (laughs) Sorry, hate is a strong word. But that to me on its own is just very generic. It's just asking for my time without any specific goal in mind. But if you say, I noticed that you went from working at Goldman to working at a startup, I would love to understand your process of making that transition can we talk for five minutes? That's so much easier for me as a recipient to put myself in the headspace to be able to help you. So I'm very much a proponent of just reaching out to people because you never know who's going to get back to you. And the more people and the more spaces you put yourself in, the more likely you are to find success. Even if that means taking classes, like I was mentioning, I was taking hosting and anchoring classes, you'll meet people organically that way. So you can just put yourself in those spaces. Yeah, that's one of the other people. Another episode that you guys can tune in, a big proponent of what she promoted was breaking into conferences. Just go to conferences. Even if you can't pay, like you'll know where the conference center is and you can talk to people there. Exactly. Yeah. All right. What's a question I haven't asked you that I should ask you? If not, any last words that you want everyone to hear? I do want to mention that we live in this world of hustle culture and you have to figure out how to be the best in everything you do and always look for the next thing and think about what your next milestones are. I've been that person my whole life, but finally now, finally now, shorter way. Yeah. So 
I'm trying to think less now about what's next to the next goals, the next milestones, and be much more satisfied and happy with the present and with the now. Because if you're always looking at tomorrow, then you're literally never going to be happy. So if you're early on in your career, enjoy the moment. Yes, have your next goals in mind, but don't forget to find something that makes you happy day to day. And it took me 10 years of my career to figure that out. So that's my last piece of parting advice. Amazing. And what makes you happy day to day usually? I love spending time with my nieces. <laughs> They're the most important people in my life to me. My older sister has two kids. They're four and one. And spending time eating good food with my friends. Food really fuels me. I don't eat to live. I live to eat. Any favorite cuisine? I love all Bengali food that my mom makes. And I've tried to learn how to make it as well. I... I'm a big proponent of chicken fingers and chicken tenders, but I'm trying to be more cognizant of our environment and planet. So I've been exploring different plant-based alternatives, but anything breaded and crunchy, I'm a big fan of. I also have a lot of, this is TMI, but like stomach issues. And when you get to your 30s, you'll notice a lot of my friends and I talk about just having just ailments that you don't expect <laughs> when you're younger. So I'm just more conscious of what I been eating. But yes, food makes me very happy. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to explain your wonderful and interesting journey here at Don't Stay in Your Lane. I love to stay connected. And if people want to reach out to you, how can they reach out or follow you on social media? You can follow me on Instagram at Nora Ali, N-O-R-A-A-L-I. And I'm on Twitter at Nora K. Ali. And my inbox is always open. So you can email me at Nora at NoraAli.com. Amazing. It was great chatting. You too. Thanks, Ajun. Of course.